I'm back, and that's not me. That, that's Sean. But I'm back from uh, the band from YouTube, a seven-day band. But I'm back. But I'm back with friends. Uh, so this is Joe. Hello. I can't hear you. No, maybe now try. Hello. Oh, sorry, I had you off. My bad. Oh, I'll switch you off again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so I have Joe. Hunt and Sean Briscoe for, from the Wolverhampton Wolves. How's it going? Uh, it's going well. Let's let's get right. Who who are the Wolverhampton Wolves, Joe? Well, that is a very good question. We are a English Premier League team. Uh, we have been a Premier League team for the last five seasons uh, consistently, but we're also uh, a very old. Premier League, well, old English professional team as well, founded in 1877. So we've been around a long time. How long? Over 100 years? Oh, yeah. Easily? Easily, yeah. yeah. And then, Sean, yeah, you, you're, uh, you, you're working with not only the Youth Academy, you're also part of internationals. Uh, uh, Kind of explaining kind of your back. Uh, how old are you, by the way? I'm 32. You're 32? Oh, no, I don't look it. Oh, wow. <laughs> don't look a day over 25. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, no, 32. So uh, a little bit of background on me. Um, I've been coaching well, 13, 14 years now. Um, started my coaching career really just at a, a local club uh, to me called AFC Telford. Uh, trying to get a full-time job within football at home or soccer at home is quite difficult. Um, so I was balancing a few different jobs. And I ended up uh, coming out here and doing challenger sports. So we did uh, the summer camps out here. So I ended up being based in Utah. Loved it out here. Uh, spent four years coaching out here and then ran into some sort of visa issues and that sort of stuff. It's a little bit tricky to stay longer. And then went back home and got a job with Chelsea. So um was with Chelsea Football Club for three years. And now I'm currently into my second year at Wolves. Well, welcome. Welcome to the U.S. Yeah, I love it. Well, Thanks it, for having us. We have to get to a sponsor and looking to boost your business leads and sales with expert marketing automation botsguide.com has got you covered they specialize in automating social media email sms and websites tasks so you can focus on growth say goodbye to manual tasks and hello to increase efficiency customer engagement and revenue growth check out botsguide.com now to learn more and the other sponsor which is not really a sponsor uh, we have we have futsal at PC. So you want to play futsal this summer, uh, you can. And uh, you can go to co.coachcameron.com and learn more. You, you can go sign up. You don't have to pay right away. It's $400, very cheap. Uh, the cool thing about this is you can pick uh, blackout dates and you'll still get your eight games plus playoffs. And during your blackout dates, we'll double up on the dates that you can play. So play soccer at Phoenix College. Futsal, when it's 115 in Arizona, that's probably what you want to do. But back to the show and back to our guests. So we have... That's where we're going, oh, wrong, by the way. Oh, John. wow. I need to remove my face here. Got his own website. And and, and I have... We need to go. Big time. There we go. You guys are kind of offset here. 
was trying to get you both in the camera, but just leave it on me. Yeah, let's leave it on Joe. <laughs> All right, uh, Joe, uh, let, let's talk a little bit about you and kind of your your past and, and where you come from. You mentioned you were in Aston Villa, which is it touches home with my family. That's where my my in laws uh, were stationed for three years, and I caught I caught an Aston Villa game as they got destroyed by Arsenal in 2011. But yeah, I think it was 2011 when I was there last. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was at Aston Villa for 20 years. So I started in 97 and then I um, did various roles at Aston Villa. Um, I think you guys call it recreational, but it was community football at the time, uh, Aston Villa. And then during my time there, I did my qualifications, uh, worked at various levels, worked with boys and girls, um, and then had some good good years there, good years. Uh, my final area was the women's team. So I coached the, I was the manager of the women's teams for the last five years. Uh, and then I came out of Villa and had a nice two-year spell out of the professional game where I actually, me and my family moved to Singapore for 18 months where I worked as a technical director for one of the local academies and then came home. And in 90, uh, in 2019, I worked at Wolves, where I've got my role now, which is International Projects Manager. So basically, I oversee all of the projects we do internationally. Uh, majority is in the US at the moment, uh, but we also got partner clubs in South Africa, Tanzania, Australia, um, potentially we're doing some work out in China as well. So we're we're quite global at the moment, which is a good thing. But yeah, my my background is coaching. Uh, I don't do as much as what Sean does at the moment, but um, I have got a few coaching sessions left in the locker. I'm looking forward to seeing the Joe Hunt Masterclass this yeah, week. Yeah, yeah, you'll see it, boy. <laughs> well, Sarah Loff, Loffman says, love watching the explosiveness of the Wolves. And love it, Sarah. Yeah. So um, we're... When when you talk about the title of the of the show is identifying talent, and you guys are kind of in that business, uh, Sean, yeah. uh, how do you, how do you identify talent from your perspective? Oh, I mean, it, it, defining talent is, is 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 a tricky thing. I mean, every player is completely different. I mean, we we look for talent from all sorts of age groups. So we we start our journey with wolves from under sixes. So we'll start bringing players in from under six, but um, they'll sign their first contract with us at the club at under nine. So from under sevens, under eights, they might be playing with us. They might be playing with Aston Villa and, and other teams. And then under nine, they'll make the decision on what club they want to sign for. But with regards to actually, I mean, every player is different. We we want to see at the young ages, just, you know, that just that little bit of magic, that little bit of spark in players. But at the same time, we're actually looking at potential athletes as well because the physical side is is important. Um, but it, and then it's obviously for, for good squads, you're looking for the blend of that. Um, and then as we get older, sort of the pyramid changes a little bit and we have our sort of our de- development centers as well. So even when you get to nines, tens, elevens, twelves, all the way up to sort of fourteens, we'll have basically like a backup squad where we're, we're looking at the next potential players to sign because some kids, they don't they don't hit their sort of spark until later on. Um, but yeah, no. So, I mean, yeah, talent is... It's, it's hard to define really, but yeah, um, we look at it everywhere. Especially in soccer, football, it, it's very complicated because uh, in, in soccer, the, the, every shape, size, I mean, 
some of some of the best players ever played for me are sometimes overweight yeah. and undersized, yeah. and it, it's the craziest thing. Um, but um, that's what I love about the sport, though. Anyone can play, so it doesn't matter if you're playing at the highest level. Like every everyone has an opportunity to play football. Yeah, that's great. And as Sean mentions, it's it's about levels. You know, yeah. we're fortunate we work at a professional football club, but within the professional football club, there's levels. So we've got our recreational program, and then from that, we'll identify players to go to our advanced centre. And then, as Sean said, then you've got development centres, then you've got our elite team. So you kind of got four different areas that we look for that players have to hit certain criteria to be in those. Yeah. Well, speaking of identifying talent, uh, we have a segment called. Uh, all ball, which uh, this is the goal of the week by little Gio Rodriguez. But let's get to all ball so we can check out this amazing goal. What a movie that is, by the way. It is. I kind of uh, I didn't have the sound set up, but here's the goal of the week. Um, this is Gio playing for RSL Central. So they're the white team, and they're playing. Shocker, another RSL team that's in red in the state final. This is a Bell Bank. And uh, the ball get hit back, and then here's Gio. So Gio played uh, for the Little Bears as well. Look at that shot. Oof. Oh, yeah. The best part's the coach's celebration. Let's rewind that. Let's take a look. He played for me uh, right there, the coach on the right right hand side. He played at Phoenix College in 2013. Oh, exactly. oh he loved that one. <laughs> yeah. He loved that He's still one. going? Yeah. So that's the goal of the week, and that ends all ball. I don't think the, you guys were fully accept, expecting this kind of setup here. No, it's brilliant. <laughs> I got bored during love COVID. It. It's very yeah. professional. We love it. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's a, the the, uh, the one thing we we have here is we have a lot of talent, yeah. and and they're younger. They're eight nine years old. We have a ton of talent in the Hispanic community, but they kind of they kind of disappear as they get older, just because a lot of the a lot of the the top talent gets put on so many different teams. It's hard to find. So back to the identification process. Um, let's let's get the. Uh, uh, your opinion on it, Joe. Um, what's your perspective of how to identify talent? Well, uh, as I said um, a minute ago, th there's different levels to identifying the talent. Um, I said we're, we're very lucky to work at a professional football club where we can attract the better players to come, at, come and play for us. Um, but the, there's so many different ways to look at it depending on age, sex you know yeah. in, in terms of what you need for your squad as well um i say i've been i've been fortunate to work across both the female and the male game and obviously that there is different things that you would look for for different players but i mean sean's got um a lot of experience at the moment with our under 10s at, at yeah. wolves but there's gonna be a massive difference for what they would look for at tens than you would at 16s yeah because of the different profiles around it yeah i mean at the younger age groups it, it we've mainly focused on the technical side 
So everything we have our, our full set technical program with the even younger ones, we're talking sixes, sevens. We, we sort of hone in on super skills. That's something that we, we just tend to use. So if you see a kid that's just an unbelievable dribbler, we, we bring him in and, and, and work on that and make sure that he knows that that's his super skill. And we try and sort of help develop that and obviously develop the other parts of his game, but not losing out on that bit of magic. So we've we've got kids now. I like that. You know what we do here? Yeah. So if you have the super skill of dribbling, yeah. they say, too many touches. Yeah. <laughs> One touch only. Yeah. No. Yeah, we, we hear that a lot on the sidelines, unfortunately. No, you've got you. So we always say with our younger age groups, we want we want our teams to be with players that are 1v1 dominant. So if, you, if you've got a player that can beat a player, maybe beat two, beat three, fantastic. Because as you get to the, the older age groups, the game becomes more tactical. Sometimes you need that bit of magic to create a two v one situation, but like I see other academies, yeah, it's they they limit the touches in the practices, and you play against them. They're great teams at under tens, under elevens. They're great teams, but they haven't got that individual that can beat the player and and, and give you that bit of magic on the pitch. And ultimately, we're working with the individuals, not the teams. So it doesn't really matter if we have the best under ten team. In, in the country, it's all about that individual player making it to the first team, which yeah. I think people exactly. forget about. And as you said, you don't want to be knocking that skill out of them. You, you know, they're not robots. You don't want them to be just pass, 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 pass. You know, they've got to hone those, as you said, super skills. You, know, you want them to continue doing that work with it. And as, as coaches, we would then add to it. But, you know, as Sean mentioned, we get under six at the moment. I've got a six-year-old boy at home who is not really into football at the moment, but I've seen some of his friends, and they're for a six-year-old, they're decent. They can play, but get them in, mate. Yeah, exactly. Well, you've got one of them in at the moment, so <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's shocking how much talent is here at age six, yeah. five. Like they can they can do rainbows, they can juggle. It's insane, and then they start getting on these teams of tactics. Yeah. Tactics, tactics, yeah. tactics. And, and and everyone's looking for what's the best club? Um, where should I move now? Can I make it to this acronym or, or whatnot? Versus just be good. Keep developing yourself. Pick a coach that, that will develop you to the next level. Don't pick a club. Not in America. You can't just pick. You have yeah. to pick a coach that's going to uh, pay attention to that. So we have a question. Um, this from Zachary Brennan says, a 12-year-old girl uh, is a midfielder, not quite an ECNL finished product. How does she develop to get to that level? So or how familiar are you guys with uh, ECNL? Um, yeah, it's, so when I was out here, it was, I think I had that conversation with you the other day. There's all these different leagues and stuff out there. Was there ECNL, DA, uh, MLS Next. There's all the different ones. But from a, from a sort of midfielder point of view, I mean, we just look at it from the four corners. So you, you have to be very talented in the physical side, massively. You've got to have an engine. So a centre midfielder, and I think it's the fullbacks, they do more running on the pitch than anywhere else. So being able to get up and down the pitch is really, really important. And for me, a centre midfielder, it's just a range of passing and being creative with your passing as well. So being able to put disguise on it and being able to switch the ball from one side to the other, right foot, left foot, sort of a, probably the hardest position to play, I think, centre mid. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, just from that question, as I said previously, I had experience with the female elite section when I was at Aston Villa. And at that age, under 12, I remember we had two girls at the time that could both play centre midfield um, very, very well. One was more defensive, one was more attacking, but they don't play there now. Yeah. So one is a centre-back 
very, very good. She plays at Manchester United in the Super League One. And then the other one is a forward playing at Southampton. Yeah. So she may be midfield now, but is she going to be midfield in six years' time? Yeah. Uh, one, one, one thing we do at the academy as well is make sure the players play multiple positions. Yeah. So we, we don't just say uh, under 10, under even under 12, you're a centre mid. We've got an idea on where they're going to be uh, in the future, but they've got to be adaptable. Because again, like I said, we're working with the individual. Maybe when they, when that player gets older, they might go on loan and have a completely different role to play. Yeah. So it's yeah, being adaptable is really really important. But again, from what we were saying earlier about super skills as well, if she's if she's got something that she's great, make sure she doesn't lose that. Yeah. And, and I think being adaptable is is huge in the modern game. Oh, massive. You need players that can not only play one, two, potentially three positions. You look at the modern day player; they can. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about goalkeeping. Um, <laughs> how for me, I'm five foot six. <laughs> if he's five aside, I'll be all right. <laughs> well, uh, let's talk about the development of a goalkeeper in, in the youth in, in, in the UK or, or the Wolves uh, academies. Uh, how important it, is it for uh, the goalkeeper to start developing uh, uh, their ability to handle the ball uh with their feet and distribute, and how do you do that? How do you how do you start developing the the goalkeepers at young ages to be able to get the ball, the repetition in games? Yeah, I mean, playing playing with your feet is the most important. So I was talking to some of the goalkeeper coaches about this the other day, and it was a stat that I hadn't heard. But seventy percent of what a goalkeeper does is with their feet in a game. Seventy percent, which I didn't realize. So what? It's a big number. Yeah. So. Being able to play with your feet is the most important. So um, they, I was talking to them about what they do for recruitment. And obviously physical is is one, which you can't coach physical. So we, we, we do look at potential heights and stuff as goalkeepers. And then the, um, the second one was footwork. Things like technical with obviously handling and, and shot stop and everything. They said that's the easiest to coach. But being able to coach using your feet that's the most difficult but again we do lots of practices within our training sessions we make sure the keepers are included with everything they'll get their individual training with the goalkeeper coaches but when they're coming into our practices as well we give them so many opportunities to use their feet yeah uh, as i said we, we are fortunate at wolves that we have got yeah specialist goalkeeper coaches to work with them but 10 years ago when i was coaching we didn't have that the, the goalkeepers were in with us and again another female player who's at actually at Brighton now, she used to train with the outfielders for literally 90% of the time and her footwork was unbelievable. Yeah. She could play, you know, every time the ball went into her, she was comfortable at playing out. She was comfortable at clipping it long and I think that it's a massive thing for the goalkeepers these days. You look at the, the best keepers in the world. Yeah. You look at Edison. Yeah, yeah. He's frightening, isn't he? Well, you look at like David De Gea. I know he had a, I know he had a stinker yesterday but he, he trained as a, a midfielder. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't turn into a goalkeeper until a lot later into his career. And I suppose it depends on the environment here. You know, if you haven't got a goalkeeping coach, and you've got to do it, then you've got to prioritize the time with their feet, haven't you? Yeah, and I think I mean, you know, like you said, we're quite lucky in the fact that we have goalkeeper coaches and stuff. But out here, it, if you have, if you're not sort of lucky enough to have that there's an art in making sure that your goalkeepers are included in training sessions so if you're doing a finishing session and stuff like that just try and be conscious of what you're giving your goalkeeper to do afterwards so if the goalkeeper catches the ball instead of that just being the next repetition into the next part of the drill give them give them a target to hit or something afterwards so I like to use mini goals so if they do receive the ball then they can put the ball down on the floor and try and hit targets 
and things like that. So I, I used to love doing possession drills where you had to, the, the, the target areas was the goalkeepers, yeah. but you could only play into their feet and then yeah, they've yeah. got to play out. Bounce out, yeah. And they've got to bounce out. As simple as that. Well, we have a good, I, I have a question about uh, influence on the sidelines when yeah. it when it comes from parents and spectators, uh, especially in the youth game. What What is your, um, how is it, over with your academies, I don't even know if you have parents on the sideline as yeah. much as we do here in the States. Um, what are we looking at over there as far as parents influencing things? I mean, over over in the UK, I would, I would assume you guys are more educated uh, about the game. So yeah. it, a lot of our parents aren't educated. Yeah. So it brings a lot of frustration and a lot of anger on the sideline. So do uh, you guys deal with that much with sideline influence and – if you do, how do you deal with that? Yeah, I mean, it's we have different challenges, I suppose, um, than than over here. Obviously, over here you have the pay-to-play model, so I think parents probably have a little bit more of an influence because they're paying a lot of money in a lot of clubs to to play. Um, we obviously, from our point of view, we've got kids that are coming in that are being told by their parents and things like that that they're going to be like the next star. They they already think that they're going to be professional footballers at the age of six or seven. So um, that's that's the sort of challenge that we face. But um, we we do do parent education, which is great. Um, we're quite lucky where we actually have a balcony. Like when we're t- doing training sessions, there's a balcony area, so they're, they're a little bit further away. But um, we 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 encourage the parents to encourage the kids. We want to hear cheering. We want them to sort of motivate the kids. But we don't we don't settle for any sort of coaching from the sidelines, if that makes sense. There can't be any instructions from from parents because what they might be instructing. Is completely different to what we might be coaching. We might be working on passing, receiving that week, and we actually want to see him pass and move the ball a little bit more. But you've got a parent that's telling them to dribble from the sideline, or, or other way around. You you might have a kid that we're working on dribbling and turning that week, and he's trying to improve on his dribbling. He's trying to do a skill, and you've got a parent screaming pass from the sideline. Yeah. So um, yeah, we try and limit that. Um, I, th- I think the big thing you said was the education piece. Yeah. So I- I'm pretty sure there'd be code of conducts for the parents that they would go through Yeah. Um, before the season starts. Yeah. And it's them adhering to it. I mean, I- I- I'm fortunate now to have two children, so I look at it now from a parent's point of view and a coach's point of view. Yeah. So my little boy, then he goes to football. He's not he's not the best player in the world, but he, he likes going and he likes running around. But I don't put any pressure on him. Yeah. So when he comes off, I, I literally, I'll ask him two things. One, did you enjoy it? And two, did you learn anything? Yeah. And half the time he says, yes, I loved it. And then he can't remember what he's done. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's simple. But I, yeah. I know there's other parents there that are just putting so much pressure on the players. And if you, if you, the, the big thing for me is the enjoyment oh, a, as a coach and a parent. I remember doing a parent, it was sort of a parent player workshop out here. So we did some coach education when I was in Utah. And I always remember um, just the one line that the guy said, um, I think his name was John O'Sullivan. Um, he said, as a parent, all he said to his kids was just, I love watching you play when they got in the car. Because nice. that's the one thing that we can't control. Yeah. Is obviously we can, when we're there, we can see what the parents are doing from the sideline. But as soon as they get in the car and that car journey home, we, we obviously lose control. And like I said, a lot of these parents and stuff at home, they, they see their kids becoming a they want their kid to become a professional footballer sometimes yeah. more than the actual kid does yeah so the, the amount of pressure that comes from so yeah it's, it's, it's really important that we educate them and just just like make it as enjoyable as possible 
Yeah. Um, the, the education piece is massive. And even an, on our pay-to-play activities like our soccer camps or even, you know, we will sometimes have to speak to parents because they're, like Sean said, they're shouting instructions onto the pl- onto their child thinking they're helping them, but they're yeah. not. They're actually completely opposite to what we're telling them. I, I had one the other week. A kid just, <laughs> he went through on goal. We were playing against Man City. I mean, he went through on goal and just hit one of the parents screamed "shoot" as loud as they could, <laughs> and <laughs> the kid just like he just panicked. I was like, oh, I just, course. I just looked up at the balcony, stared at him. I went, "He knows what to do," <laughs> and like they, they just get no, just, just over get into it. Yeah, it's it. But what, one thing we did um, again when I was in Utah was we did a we did a parent sort of education session where we actually had parents play in a training session and the kids stand on the sidelines. And they pretended to be the parents, and and they were grilling their parents as they were playing, like and it was shouting abuse. At oh, them. it was brilliant! It was brilliant. Um, we had one parent actually cry because they realised like what additional oh, yeah. pressure that they they put on yeah. their kids when they played. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that's, that's that was always a handy tool to do because it was always one of those things that we used to say to the parents where well, you wouldn't go into their school and start questioning the math teacher or you know or getting involved in all that. Yeah. They wouldn't do it with that. Well, let's move on with the. Uh, parent abuse on the sideline yeah. uh, it, a lot of it's education so we're, we're gonna watch this mom kind of lose it and kind of evaluate her uh, lack of knowledge That's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. So, um, it, it, and we have that here where the, the parents just don't know the rules or like, Oh, they, they're using their hands. Well, yeah. you, you use your hands. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a yeah. physical sport. Yeah. It's a very physical sport. And uh, the parents get so upset. Like you know, if at the next level, every level you advance, it's going to get more and more handsy. Yeah. Well, the next level and also, Age groups, as you go higher and higher, like we saw today at the tournaments. Oh, yeah. You get to open age, and it is very aggressive, very physical. Yeah, if you don't like being kicked, it's not for you. No. <laughs> That's facts. But but we have that on the sideline all the time where you got parents that get so emotional. And I remember there's a parent uh, whose son is a goalkeeper, yeah. and there was a PK called against their, their team. And parent was all upset and I, and I said stop I'm like you you want as many penalty kicks as possible when your kid is 14 years old yeah. you want this this is huge this is how else are you going to learn you're yeah. going to wait until you're in college to experience a penalty kick uh, you should be grateful and yeah. then she kind of changed her tune and understood what I was saying but that you need you need real reps yeah. in games oh, and definitely. they're denied all the time by these parents that just lose because they have to win yeah. oh yeah have to win yeah, as you as we said in England, it is getting bigger and bigger. I mean, we had some guys coming from parents in sport, was it? Yeah, and they were very good. You know, they go into the real detail around it and try and support the player and the parents. Um, and I think the like we said, the education piece is absolutely huge. Yeah, there's there's lots of resources for it now. I think it was changing the game project. That was one that we did when I was over here. So we we were 
had those guys in the other week at Wolves. It, it, they were very good as well. Uh, there's there's access to it. There's there's webinars and stuff that you can put on for parents and everything. But you've got to get the buy-in from the parents. That, that's that's the key. Some parents just don't want to hear it. Yeah, the, the education can never stop, and yeah. and it's ultimately, in my opinion, it's up to the coach to make sure you have control of not only your parents, your players, and and everything that that's there. And um, I, I, it's very uncomfortable, but if you're not willing to do that, it's going to ruin the game, and and it's going to create players like this. So I have a video of a food city uh, brawl, um, or because it's a food city weekend, and you guys were there, yeah. Um, and uh, I'm sure you saw a lot of this, and. Uh, <laughs> When when you have moms yelling at the sideline about "Don't touch my son," uh, th- this is what they become. Gee, no swing. Swing. <laughs> hey, bro, bro, G. Come on, guys, break it out. Break it up. Break it up. This will go on for a while. Yeah. But it, it, of course, it's not the Food City Tournament, but that's Food City Tournament. That, that's what happens in these uh, adult tournaments. That's what we create. Parents swinging as well. No. Oh, parents, kids, everything. It's it's all good. Uh, it creates angry, angry people. Um, Gary Funk says, entitled parents, they feel that they are paying big money and don't understand the game and will yell all sorts of wrong information. Yeah. True. It's, it's absolutely spot on. Wrong information. Yeah. Like I said, we, we used to do, we used to sit down on, and uh, when I was working in club soccer out here, we, we used to sit everyone down and, and like I said, code of conduct at the beginning of the season. This is what we are as a club. This is what we do. And if you don't agree to it, then maybe this club isn't for you. Um, and yeah, we were, we were quite stern with it and strict with it and, we, we got the buy-in and it was great. Kids got to play in a happy, fun, sort of positive environment where they could play without the stress. Did, did you design that yourself at that point? Uh, it was the club did, that I was working with at the time. Did, but did they get like the parents in to agree to it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, they, they all signed. And, yeah. and, and we, we sort of do something similar with the players at Wolves as well, where we, um, we actually have like a, we have the players come up with their own ones. So yeah, they nice. have their own player conduct and we actually stick it on. Like, so we have our cupboard where all the footballs and everything are and their code of conduct is right there, but they, like, we guide them, but we, we, yeah, they come up with it. They come up with it and we guide them to what we sort of want, but they, they all sign their name and every time they go for a drink or they go to put the equipment away, it's right there in front of them well, to remind them. It's a good reference point, isn't it? If someone does yeah. step over the line, but you know, you normally have coaches, code of conduct, parents and players. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk. Let's talk about why you guys are here. So you're here. Uh, there's the uh, golden chance. I was calling it golden ticket, but that's a that's, Willy Wonka. That's film. Willy Wonka and yeah. the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Joe, can you talk a little bit about the golden chance? What is it, and how you guys were here a year ago, and now you're back for the yeah. second time? Um, what's the point of it, and why why are you guys here? So Golden Chance is a concept that we came up with actually four years ago in uh, 2019. Now, as I mentioned earlier about Wolves being in the Premier League for the last five years, we've actually stabilised it. As previously, we used to be a bit of a yo-yo club where they used to get promoted, then get relegated and, and, and so forth. Um, so we're on a bit of a brand growth at the moment where we're trying to... I've seen Wolverhampton, everybody sports Wolves. 
Um, and then there's fierce competition around the area where you've got the Aston Villas, your West Bromwich Albions, different clubs. So really, there's no expansion for the club in those areas. There's nowhere for us to go. So internationally, he's kind of the next area that we would look at. Um, so Golden Chance is about opportunity. It's about us uh, getting our brand out there and showing people around the world kind of what we do in the UK. So we did one previously in Hong Kong in 2019 where we worked with a local club out there. We got 90 players came, we coached them, we went through serious drills and basically we identified the two best players from it. And those two players got invited across to the UK in 2019 where they came and experienced kind of academy life and watched what we did in the academy. And then unfortunately the pandemic hit, so we couldn't do any uh, international work for virtually two years. So... Last year, we uh, got introduced to the guys at Tuzos and Playmakers, uh, Bo, um, where we're having some really, really positive conversations with them about not just, well, we didn't really mention Golden Chance to start with, it was more about other work we could do, so kind of ID camps, uh, rec camps, just normal coaching that we would do in the US and potentially groups coming to us. So then our under-21s got invited to a pre-season tournament in... Um, in Utah, um, and then we came up with, okay, well, let's try a golden chance. So we literally had probably two or three weeks to organise it last year. So the plan last year was to come to Phoenix, do a golden chance, and then the two winners, instead of coming to the UK, they would travel to Salt Lake, which obviously is only an hour flight, and train with our 21s for five days. So last July we came across, and me and another coach called Darren from from the academy we came across in July, and the... The heat, oh my my goodness, the heat. I've never experienced anything like it before. (laughs) On turf. (laughs) On turf. um, We did two morning sessions, started at 7. I think we did a 7 till 9, 9 till 11. And we we basically rattled it down to the best 22 players that got invited back at 5 o'clock on the evening. And and when they came back, it was even hotter then. It was was just off, off the scale. And I don't know how they ran round and played. That they just for the first twenty minutes they were unbelievable. So anyway, they uh, played, and we identified the two best players, and they then went across to Salt Lake City and trained with the twenty ones, and it was a great experience for them. They did well. They did very well, in fact. Um, and that's kind of where we left it for that year. So this year it's slightly different. We've been invited to, as a club, to a tournament in North Carolina beginning of June called TST. A lot of people have probably heard of it. It's quite a big tournament where a lot of clubs are entering. So, obviously, Wolves have got a team. West Ham have got a team. uh, Dortmund from Germany. I think the US women's national team are entering. And it's a million-dollar prize fund for the winner. Got Ryan Reynolds and Wrexham there as well. Sorry, yes. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Ryan Reynolds and his team are there. And apparently Ryan Reynolds might be playing. He might be on the roster. (laughs) Is he actually being there? Apparently, yeah. That's the rumours knocking about. (laughs) Um, So anyway, we're entering a Wolves team. uh, And it's going to comprise of former players that have recently retired. uh, Some staff from the Wolves Academy. Unfortunately, not me or Sean. Yeah, it would be too easy for us. Yeah, it would be. (laughs) Uh, And then Golden Chance. So the two winners from last year, they're already in. Oh, okay. Uh, So that's really good. And then we're looking to take probably another three or four from this week where we're going to be doing another Golden Chance and identifying players. And and I'll put up the link um, uh, 
after the show uh, for anyone that wants to uh, sign up uh, for the Golden Chance this weekend, which is going to be held at Phoenix College right here. Um, so how, how's the format this weekend? So this weekend is different to last year where we're actually going to do um, Saturday morning session and then a Sunday morning session. So we actually get to see them for a little bit longer. Okay. Um, but the difference from last year as well is because the TST tournament is a seven aside, we're going to have to do probably more work on the seven aside as well. Last year we put them into 11 V11s and they played that format. So it should be easier for us to do and yeah. to look at the players. But, you know, we are looking for good players because some of the ex-players we've got obviously can play the decent level. I think the standard of the TST would be good as well. Um, and obviously the good thing about US players normally is one, they're fit. So I think if yeah. you can play in this heat in Phoenix, you can probably play in North Carolina as well. Yeah, that's it. So the, the two winners was Gabriel Gonzalez and who was the other winner? Uh, Philly. I can't remember his surname. Um, but good players. Yeah. They, they, they so Philly... He ended up um, with Club America. I think that was Angel, wasn't it? I'm not sure. I don't think it was Philly. Philly was, well, who the are the two? I, it was, I thought one of them was the Barca kid that went up to the Club America. Don't, well, I could be wrong. I don't think he did. I thought he. Mm. I thought it was Angel who went across. Because there were four very good players last year, really good. So, obviously, we chose Philly and Gabriel, but then there was Nelson and Angel that were kind of third and fourth. Um, but I think it was Angel that went across to Club America. Yeah, well, that kind of speaks to the level, and, and Gabriel uh, has a full ride to San Jose State and uh, became the player of the year for our conference, which is a big deal because the uh, player of the year, we've had three, Rio Su Sugahara, who um, ended up uh, going to Hawaii Pacific, but a talented player, uh, All-American, and then uh, Joel Sangua, who starts for Akron University right now, and he's having offers in Europe right now uh, after he finishes his senior year, and then Gabriel, who's going to San Jose State. But, um, yeah, it's a coveted uh, thing to become player of the year here because there's not many get it. Yeah, uh, and to be fair to the two boys, when they were in train with the 21s in Salt Lake, they were good. You know, they, they, they handled it very, very well. There was just little details that, you could tell they didn't have. So, for example, Philly, he was very good technically, very good on the ball, very clean, moved it really well, a good range of passing, but he didn't have the physical program. As where you could see some of our boys, they, you know, they've literally had a physical program. I mean, how long were they before, Sean? From from under under 10, well, under 11s, really. Yeah. yeah, so you could tell that ours were physically better. And then Gabriel, to be fair to him, he... You can tell what he is. He's a natural goal scorer, but sometimes he was a little bit rash in front of goal where his composure wasn't there. So that's something you know, we, we tasked them with going away and working on these kind of areas of improvement. Yeah, I'm curious how uh, Gabriel is going to do uh, this go-around. Uh, first, you guys seeing him again because he was coming off a pretty serious injury um, and yeah. he was only like a month cleared before yeah, that I'd heard yeah he had a few hadn't he over over the course of a few years yeah well one major one but yeah. the the required uh surgery but you know usually it takes a year beyond that so but what we saw here last year uh, at the trial he he was head and shoulders he he was very very good and you're obviously saying he was only probably about <laughs> 20% yeah 
there's levels and, but it, that's very few make it to the next level. Um, because it, it, it is a whole mind trip. Yeah. So, um, trying to figure that out. Uh, so how, how do you, um, uh, back to identifying players. So you, you, you guys were at food city, just kind of checking out, uh, what's going on there. Uh, how do you identify players from, um, say 17, 18, 19 years old versus a nine, 10 and 11 year old? Come after no, I was just going to say, do you want to talk about, because you mentioned it earlier about the younger ones, what you look at in terms of technically? Yeah, I mean, obviously, yeah, we spoke about the technical one, but looking at the older players then, it obviously it goes into the bit more of the other corners. So tactically sound players. So understanding what position they're playing, understanding their roles, responsibilities. Obviously, that comes down to the coach and and how the coach wants them to play. But you, you like some of the players we saw, you you could just, you could just tell like they knew exactly what they were doing they knew the runs that people were making their vision was excellent um and again it depends on the the, the position that you're looking at as well so um obviously we saw that striker yesterday <laughs> he said i think you said he was a he looked like a, a footballer yeah. like an american footballer but physical profile is really really important too because if you want to play at the highest level you have to have you have to have that physical profile um for certain positions um, you, you look at Haaland in the in the Premier League at the minute. He's a he's a monster. Yeah. He's an like, alien. Like oh, he's I w- watched him at Wolves well, when they came to Wolves. Like you just, you just look at me, just different, like dif- different gravy. Um, but like then you have other players that maybe small, like maybe take a Podence at Wolves for instance. Like he's a lot smaller, but My technically, <laughs> technically, he's unbelievable. I'm actually so, taller than me. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not the only person, <laughs> um, but yeah. So like yesterday, we, we were looking at different positions. There was, yeah, there's a couple of really good players that stood out, um, and then it's the psych side as well. So obviously, seeing players that can play under pressure when it gets to like we watched some of the semi-finals and stuff today. Like, can you can you perform when there's there's something on the line? Um, can you keep a level head? You have to yeah. have a little bit of fight about, it, of course. But, um, but we could see in the that right way certain players couldn't be today in terms of they lost their head. Yeah. Things, oh, yes. When things went bad, that they just lost control. But you know, we, we've been tasked with looking for a few defensive players as well, not just the attacking side. But it's you know, you've got to be clever when you're looking at the players. It can't just be when they're on the ball. You know, me and Sean spend yeah. a lot of time looking at when the ball's nowhere near in their positional sense, what positions they take up, how they support other players within their units, etc. Yeah. Yeah. One. With my son, I you know I I try to coach him as a parent, or as just keeping stats. When my son was my son's very technical, but there was a time where he just wasn't physically engaging tackles and just wasn't trying to get the ball. So I created this uh, Excel spreadsheet, and I would do takeaways and takeaway assists, and takeaways was just him by himself, and then takeaway assists he was around five yards around the ball where he assisted in causing the pressure to, to develop it. And I would show him the stats of, of one of the better players that was get seven, eight solo takeaways and then, you know, six, seven, you know, takeaway assists. And then I would show him, Hey, you, you're at one and zero. Your teammate is at seven and 11. And that once I showed him the math, the numbers, the next, next game, he's just like hustling everywhere. It was like a, a light clicked off because I was just in there as a parent like this. Just trying to uh, do uh, that. I mean, it's interesting you say that because um, I've got a daughter who's thirteen who plays netball in the UK, and it's not a, it's not a great level, but it's okay, and she's into it. 
but I do her stats. So if okay. I watch her game, I will do her stats. So we've got yeah. a little list that we put together, but it's just on her. I don't compare it to anybody else. It's yeah. just on her. And she'll get takeaways at the end of it, kind of things to keep and things to improve. Yeah. And to be fair to her, like you said, the next game she'll have looked at the stats and she well, I've got to do better at interceptions or pass completion or whatever it may be. And, you know, she really takes it in. I was going to say, that, that motivates her yeah, too. Yeah, it really yeah. does motivate her. And she gets annoyed, you know, if she's like, you know, yeah. some incomplete passes or whatever it would be. Yeah. Same same with your lad. Does he, he's motivated by seeing that in front of him, those sort I, of statistics. Mine are a bit crazy. I like, I have yeah. touches on the ball, passing direction, and it's just all handwritten. Yeah, and then before the game... <laughs> Before the game, I, w- I would just, hey, here's your stats over time. And th- I would time on uh, minutes in the game, who they played, what was the score line. Yeah. So if he had a really good game, be like, well, you won 7-0. You know? But if it was a tighter game, like 2-2 or 3-2, um, yeah. th- those stats matter more because there's more pressure. Do, but, you, do you record his games? Uh, no, uh, they do. It's VO, yeah. everything. VO, but, yeah, um, yeah I... I, I just do manual. Yeah. But it's also important, again, referring back to my daughter, depending on what position she plays as well. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of the time she's kind of in the defense, but if she moves, the the stats change dr- dramatically yeah. from what yep. they're doing. Yeah. Well, it's different roles and responsibilities. Exactly, because yeah. in defense she's more of a destroyer. She's trying to, in, you know, interrupt and, you know, get the ball off people as well. When you're the creative side, you probably yeah. get more touches of the ball, don't you? Yeah, definitely. Well, let's. Um, we're going to finish this podcast. I know you guys have a long week, and um, tomorrow you'll be doing some coaching education for Monday through Thursday, correct? Monday through Friday. Monday through yeah. Friday. Yeah, got and then and then Saturday and Sunday. I think it's Monday through Thursday. We'll, we'll take that. <laughs> Whatever you guys are contracted for. Yeah, so yeah. I don't know. Don't listen to me. Friday morning. Yeah, Friday's <laughs> off. We're going to Georgian Dragon. Um, but um, yeah, the. What advice could you give to um, parents or coaches that are, are wanting some advice how to manage uh, their team or manage their child? Uh, we kind of spoke to it about, you know, you can just keep simple stats and use math to do it versus being verbal during the game. But um, what would what advice would you give it to the American parent? Stick with the parent, not the Stick coach. With the parent, uh, yeah. f- for me, for just make sure that you, you, your kids just in, enjoy playing. Everybody's journey is going to be different. Um, it, obviously, you, you might be playing sort of recreation soccer, you might be playing club soccer, you might be in a pay to play, you might get scouted for an academy, but the, the enjoyment level's always got to be there. And for me, a huge one for me as a coach and a parent, emotional intelligence. You, you, you've got to understand the kid. Um, and like we're talking about there, you being motivated with, like you understand that your kid's motivated by seeing those stats in front of them, but another kid in the group might absolutely hate that and crumble under the pressure of that. Yeah. So it, 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 just know your players as a coach, but as, as, as a parent, just like I said, when you get in the car with a kid, just tell them that you love watching them play and nine times out of 10, they're going to respond, well, all the time they're going to, they're going to respond well to that and they're going to want to keep coming back to playing, playing soccer. Because all me, like, your time goes like that. It's all of a sudden it's it's over. You, um, so yeah, that would be my advice. Like like I said, my daughter plays netball and she, she plays to win anyway. So she doesn't need any more pressure coming from me. She gets annoyed if they lose. I don't put any pressure on her. A majority of players that go and play, they're playing to win, aren't they? That's that's what the game is. They're playing to win. Yeah. But 
I think they do play better when there's a bit more freedom to them and they're not worried about looking across Yeah, and the parent's not happy about a misplaced pass or they missed an open goal or whatever it would be. Uh, it's it's massive. It doesn't matter what the level is, whether it's a recreational development, elite level. Just let them play. Yeah, just let them play. Let them enjoy it. I uh, I never. I, my dad never came to watch me play when I was younger. So my brother was playing before me, and my dad always used to go to his games, and I absolutely loved it. I think he went to watch me a couple of times, but I had no pressure. I'd I'd come in from a game. My parents would know straight away whether I'd had a bad game or a good game. Yeah, but there was never any of that pressure. And even if I had a bad game, I could tell them I had a good one anyway. Well, I, I used to have it the other way where my granddad used to come. Yeah. And he was very old school. Yeah. So if I played well, he, he would tell me, to be fair. Yeah. And if I didn't, he'd tell me I didn't play well. <laughs> yeah, you don't need it. <laughs> I don't need that now. But with my two, I just want them to enjoy it. I just want them to go out there and enjoy whatever they do. Absolutely. And I, I want to show you my favorite coach. Uh, this I love honesty. and uh, But this is how you destroy... A soccer player pretty fast. You don't have to. You can never make you can never make it. You're supposed to be a dinner man serving dinner to the students in the secondary school. Because you cannot do basic one plus one. You are here breathing heavy like a dog. Think about your life. You are a failure. You are a failure. You can never make it. You can never, you know you cannot make it. You need to be cutting grass, making this place fresh for the actual footballers that want to use this place. You are, you are, you are tired, you are here. What have you, you done? Know, useless. Me, Me with my pregnancy, I'm better, better than you. Idiot. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. And that, that's kind of what we have with a lot of coaches and and uh, sideline behavior. But yeah, yeah, we don't want to be like that. We want to... We want to find a way to um, uh, put our, our kids in an environment where they love the game for a lifetime and not worry about the end result. And that would be our ultimate success because ultimately we want relationships with our children and being a, a, a psychopath on the sideline, you may ruin it for a lifetime. So. As a, as a kid, you want to you want to grow up just remembering the good times at the, at the football games. Right? I'll go into all those, especially like the away games and everything like that. Like kids love that you don't you don't want to be as like say i had a child and my child got older looking back going i hated going to the football games with sean yeah yeah you don't want your child not wanting to go because of what you're doing on the sideline yeah he'd be i'd be uh, it'd freak me out really if I, if my children thought that of me i don't yeah. want to, i don't want to play football because dad's just a nightmare on the sideline yeah well joe sean I appreciate your time. This was the Coach Cameron Podcast, episode 637. You can find us on iHeartRadio, YouTube, Spotify, or wherever else podcasts are found. Thank you again, Joe Hunt and Sean Briscoe, and best of luck with Wolverhampton and wherever the international world takes you, and we'll see you tomorrow. Thank you so much for having us. Thank Thank you. you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, guys.